You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Well, Jason, apparently not as always, as you very, very very adeptly pointed out last week. Um, I have to say, just a very, very quick, uh, I don't even want to call this a preamble, but uh, it it does need to be stated. Uh, I, I was incredibly impressed with last week's episode. So for those of you listening, if you haven't yet checked out the live cast from last week down in Texas, I highly encourage you guys to do that. Stepping in, in my shoes was the wonderful stip from the skyscrape, uh, who also unveiled the the wonderful announcement that uh, he's got this amazing book coming out. So highly encourage you guys to check that out as well. We're going to keep plugging that, that butte. And uh, I have to say, man, first of all, for being a live cast, you were incredibly polished. Uh, you, you, my friend, no. are very, very quick on your feet in, in such settings. And I have to say, as calculated and introspective and um, just deep as Stip is every time we have him on the show, there there was a, a, an elevated enthusiasm, a lilt, if you will, to his voice during the show. <laughs> he, that man was, uh, he was amped, I could tell. And I loved hearing it. It was an absolute treat. And, and I say that, and I please, everybody go listen to that show. I, I, I say that full well knowing that this may lead, very quickly lead to a petition to have Stip replace Paul on the show in the very near future. Well, but I, I do so willingly because I'm here to produce and to promote good content. And he, last week was a five-star show. Well, thank you. That That's uh, way far too kind than what it deserves. But I will say Stip mentioned that he can't get his voice as low as yours. Yeah. So it wouldn't quite work out. Um, and that as a one, as a one-to-one like for like, if you, if you will, um, no, we had a we had a blast. Uh, he was very animated. You could tell was. the man was having fun. I'm we had so a live happy. studio. You guys, yeah. we had a live beer garden audience for Christ's sake. I mean, it was it Cannot was a good be. time. Cannot I didn't. Be. I didn't eat, my only regret. I didn't have one of their pretzels. They, they look dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what else would be dynamite if we had a guest on tonight? Should we see how long we should wait? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I've actually wanted to have this gentleman on for a long time. He kind of does what we do, but at a way higher level. And for way longer. <laughs> uh, if you've ever listened to the Pearl Jam bootlegs um, when they first hit the uh, hit the shelf for your listening pleasure, and anything else under the sun on Sirius XM Channel Twenty Two Pearl Jam Radio, then you would have heard the dulcet tones of one Rob Leitstein. Hello, Rob. Howdy. Good to be here. How are you? I'm, I'm well now. I've got two two beautiful voices uh, just sandwiching me in my in my brain right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I'm in extremely unprofessional mode here, showing up with my earbuds while I have equipment sitting over here, and I'm watching you guys with the, you know, with the right mic, right kind of microphones. Oh, don't sweat this. Well, it's gra- it's, it's, it's your off it. day. We're garage rocking. <clears throat> it, and it, you know what that means? It means there's gonna be a part two. That's what that means. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to go and well, cool. buy a better mic just to really step my game up. Mm. Um. So, uh, where do I even go from there? So, yeah, Rob, yeah. you are the host of Pearl Jam Radio. You also do Grateful Dead channel as well, correct? 
I produce on host on the Great for Dead channel as well. And also, uh, I'm the man behind the curtain on what's known as Tank Club Radio on ProGem.com. And that's, and we'll get to it a little bit later, but that, that started out as the original Pearl Jam Radio, which <clears> then got kind of transitioned into serious, right? In a, in a way. Uh, it, it, it was, it, yeah, it was there. And then Sirius became, it was its own separate entity. Okay. But yeah, it was their first few months, so, six months ahead or something like that. So let's start here. Let's start with um, just you as a fan of the band and of radio, and we'll kind of merge them and we'll find how Rob became Rob. Um, okay. <laughs> you've, you've spoken about seeing Pearl Jam at the Warfield in San Francisco in 1993. Yes. What and that yes. the Fillmore, just beautiful places. To you guys would know. Yeah. You were instantly blown away, right? I was. I was just kind of, you know, sort of. I was getting into them musically, you know, sort of starting to learn, and was in the industry and knew that Versus was coming out, and they were also right. I knew that they were up the road making it here in San Rafael. Um, a friend of mine was doing the catering for them up there, and oh. she was mm. ra- raving to me about how great they were and what great guys they were and all that. So it was all just coming together. So that night, when I was, and I had ten and was listening to ten, but wasn't. I don't know. It's not like I knew the song. It's not like I knew the words of the songs when I went to that show. You know. So you were still seeing well. them and. I was totally green. Yeah, I was, I was getting into it. I mean, I'm still listening to a million other things, but that was one of them. And <clears throat> so that night at the Warfield, just we had front row lower seats, which was incredible. Thank you, my friend Dave Rep. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have gremlins in my throat. <laughs> so anyway, just um, first of all, just overlooking that mosh pit, that floor, that energy. And what, and then seeing what these guys were doing on the freaking stage while they were making this music was so fucking incredible. You know, it was, it wasn't like that at the dead shows in those years. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say, let's just say that. So it was just really energizing. And I walked out of that show completely like, wow. And then they're playing two nights was it, or three nights later, Halloween at the, at the Greek in Berkeley. So I immediately made the phone call to said, Hey, I got to go to that. And then went to that. And that was like completely different set. Encores were fucking up and Bob O'Reilly. And I was just like, they are fucking so speaking to me. I got to, <laughs> I'm going where this is going. And it was actually at that. So it was at that show, walking out of that show <clears throat> with the tour poster with the marionette on the piano, I was buying that and looking at it, the poster. And the final dates on that post, like the, these shows are the first ones and the last ones are December 7th through 9th, Seattle. And right then and there, I was buying that poster and I was like, oh man, the, I have these dead shows in LA and San Diego those days. But right when I bought that poster and standing at the Greek at the merch thing, I was like, fuck that. They're done. I'm going, to, I'm going with these guys. I'm going to see you these guys the in town before. I did. Thank God I did. It was like, um, cause I went to those Seattle shows and that was shows three, four and five and show number four, the 12, was on nothing like it. I, that, that was one that I was like, okay, I'll go anywhere, anytime to do this. 
So, so how many times have you gone anywhere <laughs> for this? Uh, well, in this business of counting them, thank God for the app. No, I do have a sheet of it, actually. Um, Austin, too, was 305. <laughs> but to put it all in perspective, my good friend Amy Morris, she's got like 100 on me. So thank God for that. Oh, she's uh, she's washing it right, with, with the umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listen, it's only a third of their total shows. It's not like a big deal. Look, it's complete luck is what it is. I don't, th- I don't know about that yeah. per se. Well, let me ask you this then. Well, so if, if you, I, mean, I just, I just think anyone, anyone who's able to be able to do that or wants to do that is in luck. Okay. <laughs> it, it's true. It's true. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Okay. So you, you've seen the band 305 times and you talk about how epic and how mind bending those first handful of shows were. What is it about Pearl Jam that makes you want to go back 301 more times after those first four shows? Because they know how to do it, and they know that you know it's different every night. So that's that's, that's the that's the big similarity with the Grateful Dead is mm-hmm. that it's a completely different experience every time, and you just want to be there, you know. And the best thing about these Austin shows was not seeing them for a year since nashville and even though i listen every day and work with it every day and talk about it every day when they're not in your face and you're not doing it it's sort of out of sight out of mind in some regards Mm. and you just fucking forget so but austin was like the best reminder for me it's just like i'm there just like oh my god i forgot how ridiculously fucking great they are (laughs) and that's you know that's what that that was Oh, I'm happy about that. Uh, let's let's dig a little into your into your background, Rob. I, I'm curious. Uh, many of our listeners they remember finding new music, Pearl Jam, through radio or uh, taping their friends' favorite songs, creating mixtapes, things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Live, live broadcasts over the radio, trading tapes. Um, there's something yep. special about this this kind of exchange this this kinesthetic tactile exchange of of excitement that you had for a band so in your opinion being in radio for such a long time making this crossover to internet radio what do you think if anything is lost in how we now exchange musical tastes how we discover new music the way that the the new generation or the next generation does now through apps like spotify or Apple or YouTube and so on. It's it's just a very different type of exchange than what we experienced decades ago. It's it's not centralized. You don't have everybody like, you know, if you grew up in a city, you all converged around that one cool radio station. So you you know, that was that was the kind of thing and yeah, that's it's it's there and it's there in some pockets for some people. You know, I just came from a conference that had a ton of radio people and um yeah it's totally different the thing the, what i thought was really cool about in 2010 um i'm it, at the shows europe tour the backspace of europe tour and the last show is in portugal and i'm interviewing this really young girl she was probably 13 or 14 and I asked her, you know, speaking of Portuguese, I was like, how do a 13-year-old girl in Lisbon, Portugal, get turned on the Pearl Jam? And she says to me, in her beautiful accent, YouTube. Oh. And <laughs> I no one had ever 
I had never ever like no people were not going to YouTube for music in no. 2010 like they are now in this in America. That's for sure. So I was blown away by that back then. I was like, really wow. And so it's just a you know a different way of reaching people. And so and it's it's just and it's just been more niche than ever. Like radio got niched, but now everything's its own niche, and you know you find it. Mm. And or it finds you if you're lucky. Do you think um, the way that it was with actual tapes and with, you know, you had to know a friend and, and send to them and they would make copies like. I don't want to say that there's something more um, honest about it, but is it when you think about groups that kind of blow up out of nowhere? And I know that's ironic talking about Pearl Jam considering they kind of in, in so many respects blow up out of nowhere. But there was, I mean, they were touring for just about two years before they really became a thing. Um, do you think we're getting a lot more artists um, reaching people, but not necessarily the, the the distilled version of quality because of the proliferation? Proliferation? Oh my god! Well, or or why? Am I just being old man yells the cloud? <laughs> nah, it's just all, it's all so different, you know. The back, you know, you used to. You used to have to have some semblance of talent and all this other stuff to be able to make a record. Then it yeah. became anyone in the world, anyone can make a record on their computer right now. So it's a whole different world and the whole distribution thing has changed and it's yeah. blown up and it's it's great in summer. Yeah. It's like technology just in general, you know, it's your friend on one hand, but it's screwing things up on the other. So it's just a, it's just a balance, but, um, but I, yeah, I, I wanted to do, I've been involved in doing internet radio stuff. Like since I, when I left the Gavin report in like 1998, that's when I was like, I want to start doing internet radio and got involved with a few different things. And then in early two thousands was with a company that was doing stuff and this program and wanted to program like five channels for them for a bunch of years. And actually, and actually, and actually when it was, when that went away, when I got laid off from that and, well, I'll, I'll let you ask later how it all started because that's how it all started. That's where we're going. <laughs> yeah, that that is yeah. how we're going. So you you say you pitched yeah. the band this idea for uh, Pearl Jam Radio as a station on their website back in two thousand nine. First, how did you meet the band? I, I, I but I I brought it up to I brought it up to um, Kelly Curtis Kelly. in two thousand six. Mm. Oh, after the Santa after the Santa Barbara show, I ran into him. And I was working for that internet company at the time. And I thought, you know, we could have done it at that place, but I was like, no, it's going to be way too much work and way too much. I can't let them have it. It needs to be somewhere else, not this company. And that company wound up going under anyway. So it all <laughs> worked out. But yeah, so yeah, it was, it was in my head to be doing for a long time. So and then, yeah, I, pit I pitched it in 09 and then it took a while to become a reality, but we made it work. So, so let's talk about that reality. I'm curious, were there stipulations or conditions in making that channel a reality that did the band want anything specific out of it? No, I think the, if the band even knew about it, you know, it's like, <laughs> this is about their pay grade. It was uh, more, <laughs> it was more, it was, you know, done through the, with 10 club and basically launched as kind of a marketing tool for the bootlegs because mm. it originally started through who follow recordings who was putting out the bootlegs in 08 starting in 08 and um 
and they were my friend Brady Lar was running that company and doing that and had had to deal with Pearl Jam and Fish and all the Metallica, all these other bands who's doing the live boots for them. Because doing all the physical stuff, CDs. So you were okay, so you basically spoke to Kelly and I assume Tim Bierman and said, Hey, uh I had mentioned it to Kelly then, but then I reached I reached I reached out to Tim in um in 09 when I got off my uh, when I lost my uh but I'd I'd been in touch with Tim just the shows over the years and I think I met him at a bridge school, you know, like in the ninety-nine or two thousand, something like that. Was that um, a um, was that a a blessing in disguise losing that that internet job right at the time? Oh you yeah, pitch this uh, thing. Well, for sure, because it was just like, well, I would no, it was just it was like when I lost that when that gig went under, I was just like, okay, what's the next move? And I was like, I have to fucking work for Pearl Jam. That's just all there is to it. I don't know how what how or whatever, but um, that needs to happen. And I was like, well, what the hell could I do for them? They're, they're very much, and another thing like the Grateful Dead is that, you know, they got their own fucking world. They've got it going. They're in their, you know, long time people, all that, very insular too. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, so, so I was like, well, what's the one thing they don't have that I could do? They need a fucking radio station on their website. So I pitched that. Uh, they, they liked the idea, but at the time it was like, this is not a priority, you know, if the band was to get involved in this, you know, they'd get distracted, whatever. Uh, so anyway, then we worked it out where when I brought mentioned this to Brady at Kufala, he loved the idea and we made it work through them. So I didn't care how it actually worked nuts and bolts wise, as long as I was able to do it and sort of survive. And then, so yeah, so, so we did, we launched that on the backspace of spring tour went to jazz fest and then kicked it off the night of that Kansas city show. Okay. So the, go ahead. I was just going to say, so, so it was like eight or nine months in between the start of Pearl Jam radio on the, on the, on the website and the channel 22. Yeah. So, uh, it was just on the site. I was doing the thing. I was going on tour, uh, did the Europe tour with my, you know, my first full Europe tour. That was, amazing just so much fun and um and somewhere along the line um you know months after that tim had mentioned that sirius was reaching out to him about a pearl jam channel oh interesting and that's when i said and that's when i said well i already worked there on the grateful dead channel so let's make it work so it's been about 13 years right so yeah it's crazy yeah, it's it's a, a testament uh, to this great achievement. You know, I, I'm curious, given the amount of time that's passed, what was your goal, your ultimate goal with the station? Do you think you've already achieved it? What What do you want the future to hold for the channel? Oh man, well, I'd love to be seeing you know more broadcasts, obviously, but oh, yeah. we. <laughs> We get to do one, and the, and the soundboard blows up. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, wish we and wish and wish you know remotes and stuff, and being at the shows. Wish that was all in the budgets and plans, but that's out of my hands. It's interesting you say that. Uh, and and and, and we, you know, you know, and also, so when before the serious thing, when the Tank Club thing launched, and we called it Pearl Jam Radio. Um, 
you know, I just said, let, you know, let was in a couple of meetings with them and just said, Hey, just let the guys in the band know, you know, anytime they want to do anything, the door's wide open. And, uh, I, you know, and I think Br Brad had a record coming out and I did a sat down with stone. That was great. And, and then sat down with Mike for a few minutes in, uh, Buffalo at that show. And well, the channel has become sort of like a, it's been really embraced. I think over the last handful of years, maybe like half decade or so yeah. where you get yeah. exclusive well, interviews and like the whole yield track by yeah. track thing that came out in February and all kinds and the, in the ancillary bands, yeah. you know, the orbit bands of Brad and, and, and uh, Wellwater conspiracy uh, or whatever it is. I just love I'll that. Just say this. Any, anytime these guys give us content, especially like the shows Jeff has done, I just love Anytime these guys give us content, especially the Stone and Jeff thing was one of the greatest fucking things oh, ever. So good. I was just mm -hmm. like, I was like, oh my God, can't they just sit down and have fun? And like, let re press, press record and let it, you know, yeah. So that stuff is, you know, and we have, you know, I'm we're grateful for anything we get. So, you know. You, you mentioned the live broadcast. It, it seems like that'd be a perfect marriage of old school and new school. Like, the live radio, like think of Chicago 95, but like do it on the internet, on the, on the serious channel. Like we get, we get, everybody wins. Yeah. Um, again, there's budgets involved and stuff like that. So, um, if it was, if it was a matter of just bringing your laptop and a microphone and headphones to the gig, that'd be great. But it's a lot we'll, more we'll than that. Right away, Rob. We'll make it work. We'll yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Something will happen. For a okay, my yeah, like yeah, my Ven my my Venmo is no. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of dedicated fans, Rob, uh, you you have yeah. a very dedicated fan base. You are a dedicated fan. Uh, we're all dedicated Pearl Jam fans. But what do you think are some challenges that you face sharing and curating music for these kinds of listeners? For for such pa such a passionate fan base, has this experience changed your relationship with any of the band's songs over the years? Any of the members? Um, songs, yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I think it helped me discover others, discover older things that you know. I'm always discovering that I've had words wrong for forever. <laughs> <laughs> Legs spread out before me, as opposed to laid spread out before me. <laughs> yeah, you know, all kinds <laughs> of things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you know, just you know. And just getting reminded of how much I love certain things, like, like just that, like that version of Habit in Austin was so for me was just so incredible, oh, was so great. It was like one of those. Um, um, it was like a beautiful train wreck in a sense, because he didn't know how to play it. It was down to no, but he, no, but he, but he, but he rehearsed it. But that that thing where he, where before he even started the song, he's like. Stone, teach me this in two seconds. And thank God he did. And then he had it and they freaking nailed it. And it was just, yeah, it was, I love it. It was just nasty. It was great. <laughs> so the fans are obviously crazy. I mean, we're all crazy. Um, we're all crazy on war. No, that's, that's too deep. Um, oh, well, well, um, you know, has, has, yeah. Back to Paul's question. I the relationship shape. I think with, with fans. So I, yeah. um, I, I just, I, you know, you know, it's just like, it's radio. You know, you have no idea who's out there. So that, that's kind of the beauty of it, you know. Um, I guess you know when, when we back in the beginning of the channel when you know Tim and I had this call-in show for the first 
like two and a half years, two and a half, three, three years almost. And that was like every week. So that was, Mm. totally and that was totally fun and interesting and crazy and also like in the beginning neither of us uh, i had never done a college show in my life so it was a total like you know acid test basically and like some <laughs> of them were pretty some of them were like pretty bad and some of them were great and we had great guests That's the beauty of live though rob i know i know so you know i get to do that then it's good then we scaled it back to you know I'll do these faithful forum things when something's going on, when something's, you know, when there's something to talk about. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah. You mentioned to me uh, before the show on, uh, through text that you and Brett Eliason go way back. And uh, we were discussing the love well, uh, of the uh, 1996 show. Brett will, Brett, will, Brett, will go, Brett will go, we don't go with way back. I've we, no, I'm since, saying way back. No, here's my great Brett story. And I've told them this. Yeah, I, I want to hear this. Brett Okay, so this, this goes back to 12893 up in Seattle at my fourth show. So I have floor GA floor tickets at night. It's a very small minor league hockey arena where the Thunderbirds used to play. They wound up they used to call it, then they called it the Mercer Arena. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm very particular about this. I'm very particular about this. The bootlegger calling it that on the bootleg. I'm like, it was not the Mercer Arena that night. I got my ticket right here. I got a <laughs> hunk of, of cement outside. It's it's the Seattle Center Arena. Seattle Center Arena, yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so that night I'm on the floor, but I'm too old to be doing mosh pits. And uh even back then I was too old to be doing mosh pits. I started, you know, I got in the pro during my third at the in the Pearl Jam in my thirties, not my teens. So um anyway, I wind up standing right in front of the board, like right in front of the metal police barricade that would be in front of the soundboard. And as soon as that unbelievable fucking night was over, my mind is just blown and I'm just like, this is on this is it. I see Brett like maybe like eight feet from my hand, pulling out a dat out of this Panasonic dat recorder of the show. And I see there, I said, Hey, any chance I can get a clone of that? And he just laughed. And, uh, so we've known each other since that moment. <laughs> I think that's way back. <laughs> and yeah, but, and then the beauty of it is, is that that fucking tape that he pulled out, even though it came from an ADAT source, finally got released. Uh, and again, what really what gets me off about Pearl Jam and uh, Pearl Jam shows and what makes, you know, they're always fucking good. I mean, they're always ridiculously good. But then there are those nights when it's just eight levels beyond. And that's, an, that's another thing like the Grateful Dead. Like when they had it going on, when you saw them at their fucking craziest and peak, you knew it. And it was just different than any other night. So yeah, I mean, Pearl Jam is always at a certain level to begin with, which is higher than most any other shit you're going to see out there. <laughs> and then there's those nights when, you know, all hell breaks loose and it all, you know, so it's those. So yeah, I, felt, I always felt that that was definitely one of them. And that's, when, you know, also, I also, what I love about early Pearl Jam is I'll never forget this too, being at that time, you know, walking out of early shows going, I can't wait till they're 10 years old and they can play all fucking night because they play 70 minutes, you know, and you're just like, 
you're killing me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward well, like be- two years and it's like three hour shows. Right. Right. Well, yeah. well I mean, you guys, uh, this is a good time, I think, since we're talking shows. Let's pivot to this eight-show run across the Midwest. Uh, a couple of stats here from PJ23. So 105 songs played over eight shows. Indy was postponed, sadly. We talked about this on the show a couple of times. Oh, Rob, we had him. We lost him. No, I'm coming, away. man. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you. I just need more, more liquid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that epic moment in the podcast when the guest of honor gets up to refill his mug. Yeah. Let's just water. The drink kids. of choice, Rob. What do we got? It's just water, man. It's just okay. water. He's right. hydrating. You gotta hydrate. So I've had all it's a rough life doing all this rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> Indy gets postponed. Rob Rob needs to stay hydrated. Matt gets COVID. Ed has the flow pandemonium out here in the Pearl Jam world. Eight different openers, too. That's nuts. Um, I'm curious. Uh, let's let's talk about some of these tracks, some of these songs. I'm, I'm going to hone in on one in, in particular. Let's talk Indifference. Well, so why do you think, Rob, Indifference hasn't opened more shows like it did in St. Paul? I think it's only the, the, the second or third time that it has opened a show. The first time since 94. I have no idea about this if it's true. Um, you know how it, I I think there's there, I think there might have been some person or request or something going on that brought that on that night. Really, I would love to find out. Yeah, good guess. A friend of mine, a, fr- a good friend of mine, lost her mom right before a few days before that, and she was a huge Pearl Jam. Her mom was a huge Pearl Jam fan, and as well, and I've been to many many shows and remember interviewing her up at Fenway and but many over the years many many shows and been up front and I think the band knew of her as well and Indifference was her song uh, so whether it was whether it was or whether it wasn't I'm gonna go with I want to believe that it was you gotta so, believe in a good story Rob. <laughs> that's a good a story as any yeah. um yeah. I mean I was going through the the eight shows today kind of reading the set list and kind of jotting down some notes of, you know, some of the things that Ed would say and, you know, dedicating certain songs and, and, you know, you know, playing, playing purple rain in St. Paul as you should do. And, you know, there's, there's so many different key moments across these eight shows. I mean, some people that I was talking to at the, uh, at the live cast in Austin was saying that, um, cause I asked me, you know, anybody who's been to all the shows so far, what were the highlights, what stuck out to you? And they, they said that, all of them were fantastic, but the Chicago ones kind of felt like um, two chapters of a book. Like they complemented each other very well. I would argue, I think Austin did the same thing as did Fort Worth, funnily enough. Um, so I don't know how special Chicago was in that, re- in that regard, uh, even though you got 22,000 people in a giant arena. And it's always special in Chicago. Um, so I guess the question is, because you went to Austin shows, I went to Austin shows. Mm-hmm. If we look back at all these moments, if we look back at these set lists, what one show of the other six really is like the one that you go, man, if I could have just gone to one more, this would have been the one to see. I don't go by just the set list, but I think all the thing for me, this whole, this run, this tour, every show was like a great, you know, just a good sampling of from all over the place and pulling out different stuff every night. So whether it be two songs or four songs or whatever, but it just was like in there, you know, and it seems to be in this habit or way now of 
when you see these set lists that they're grouped into four or five tunes and there seem to be, you know, there are lots of choices, lots of back-to-backs that were just fantastic that like I hadn't seen before. Um, and I know that's Chicago two show. I need to bring that up. So give me a second here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're talking song wise, this yeah, song wise, it totally works for me. Shit like comeback and present tense and tremor and you know, for me, green disease. For me, for me, green disease is green disease is my favorite riot act song. Mark mm. Renaissance is probably one of my favorite avocado songs. So right there, and the fact that I got I watched that marker and they they fucking nailed it. So. That's a song that I will always lobby for. Wish they would. Yeah, Jason you know, and I talk about that all the gra- time. Just grateful. Just that grateful. Song. We we don't know why they don't play it more often. Well, it, I talked to Mike about it. It's there's some parts in you know they're not playing it all the time, but you know, and then previous years when they've broken it out that once or twice, it'll might be a little rough, and then they just do it once and then it's gone. But yeah, this one was fucking great, and as long as they just keep keep it alive every one, now and then, you know. Just to see it, that just to see that it's alive is great, you know. Like here, smiling garden, magnet, street fighting man, three in a row right there. Oh, but there, come on, right here, green disease, immortality, marker, deep. That's a great run of, of songs. I go, yeah, I go home right there. I go home right there. <laughs> you know? Well, you know what it is. I, I, here, here's my my quick take that I just kind of thought of is, I wonder if they went into this run, should have been nine, and said, okay. This is this is the kind of the end of a really really a really weird chapter. This Gigaton tour, which obviously Ed joked about, I think in Austin, um, actually the last night that it's been the longest tour they've ever had because of the COVID gap. But I feel like they came into this these sort of makeup shows, if you will, to kind of you know get that slice of the country sorted, and said, "Fuck it, let's go ahead and just try and pluck." a number of weird things that we haven't done. Let's give people a true cross section of what we do. There's only, you know, less than a dozen shows. It's not like you got to plan for 35 across the entire country. And then you got to go to Australia. You got to kind of pace yourself kind of thing. I think they said, let's go ahead and rehearse as much as we can. Everybody bring in an idea of a song. You haven't, we haven't played in forever. Let's rehearse it. Cause they even out of my mind, if we're, if we're going to pivot to Austin here, out of my mind sounded legit. It sounded rehearsed. He he I, he was reading lyrics, but he sounded really good. It sounded good. So to your point about marker in the sand, like it, I felt like they came in knowing they had to do a job, but they they said we're gonna make this job hard for ourselves, and we're still gonna rehearse the hell out of it, and we're still gonna nail it. And it, that's why these these shows came across so well. Well, I I thought going into it, whether they cosmically heard me or not. Uh, I was just like, okay, there's not really a record promoting right now. I go, this tour needs to be like 05 Canada, where it was just like, there was nothing to promote. It was just, it just was. And that's how I felt this sort of had the same sort of feel in terms of what they're playing. No pressure to promote the fucking record and all blah, blah, blah. It felt, and like, again, you can tell me how you've seen this band more than anybody I know, bar, uh, wash Amy, <laughs> um, when you when you come into a concert, when you come into a tour, and that's what you get, did it did it feel different in the building to you when we got to Austin? Uh, I don't I don't feel anything until the lights go out and they're on the stage. 
I mean, that's what I mean. I feel once I'm in there and I'm seeing people and everything, it's a blast. And that, you know, that element of it is a ton of fun. But in terms of the music and being psyched for the shows and stuff, it's, it's like I, I need to, it needs to just happen. And um, so I wasn't really thinking about it. I just, the energy there was great. And, you know, and then, yeah, what? So I walk in, they, you know, you walk in, they're opening with Nothing Man right from the first start, the first night. So I'm like, you know, that was a great start for me. What's interesting, guys, about that show, apparently, is that everyone's wives were in attendance for this one, except Ed's. And that happened to be their anniversary, <laughs> which is. <laughs> Has that ever happened before? I, I, I would have. I have to say, probably not. I'm inclined to say no on that one. Um, but I, I can't verify for sure. Uh, I, I do want to kind of dip into all, all these shows, or at least a few of them here, and just, just kind of like share some things with you guys and get a feel for for uh, what you guys think it makes of this tour. Because I, I think with every tour, you look back on it, and there's certain kernels that stand out, you know, little hallmarks of the tour. So we'll start with with the Austin show. You know, you get Nothing Man as an opener, which is just a, a great, great opener, I think. Um, the Out of My Mind cameo was fantastic uh ed teasing that song saying that you know he's been in nearly all the pearl jam shows and that the lyrics to the song were never actually really written before i think is is fascinating because jason mentioned how he's reading lyrics as he's <laughs> which i think uh, and the fact that he still relates to them i think is even more fascinating to, to relate to something that you never truly wrote i think is is pretty astounding um and then, uh, I mean, obviously, it would not be a Pearl Jam tour without without some political stances. Ed delicately kind of approaching Texas's uh, abortion laws, talking about oh that uh, that whipping that was that that part that was the high, that was part of the highlight of that night. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that speech that speech into whipping was. Rob, I don't know how you yeah. felt about that, but like in the moment, it felt um, like Ed was being very very careful with his words and. I mean, it is Austin. It's not like it was Fort Worth where it would be a little harder to make that, make that, or have that conversation, I guess. Yeah. But he, I started, yeah. I was gonna say, he, he was just very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess careful. Um, in his, I thought, I thought it was well, I thought it was, I thought, yeah, I thought it was very well delivered. It wasn't rambling. It was said what needed to be said. And, and also, so looking at that list right now, I'm remembering, um, I thought that I got shit that night was, epic and i was go i was jumping out of my freaking pants that night i also am very i also am, i also am very very lucky because given the fly i was jumping out of my pants too and so was my phone and oh, it no. wasn't until like i got <laughs> shit that i realized that i did not have my phone in my fucking pocket and that moment of hesitation freak out happened and uh, luckily 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 i found my freaking phone on the floor floor like five feet away from me very very lucky let's let's skip actually to the next show which was Austin, obviously Austin, Austin too, which is yeah. so fucking badass. I mean, you you get Wash as an opener, right? Um, you get just an absolutely. You got, three, you, you got the three arms around me preset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First time in the tour, they did preset, right? First, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I gotta say, I love I loved Inhaler, man. The, I mean, really, you know, yeah, the I did. Kid, when right? I, when, is that, is when, yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, hey, man, if you got it, you sound like that, you fucking use it. You know, <laughs> I was interested to see them, but but I was uh, I will tell you I was stuck in a merch line that entire. Time. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, check, the, the, well, check them out. They're check them out. They're a great, great band to have open up. I'm just like any band that rocks and, you know, well, let me ask you good, this. I'm good. Inhaler, yeah. you know, new record Pearl Jam announced Austin night two that they've completed recording on their new record. And that if you like the musicians, I'm quoting it here. If you like the musicians in this band, you'll like the songs because they all played at the highest level. Um, and it feels like they brought their A game to that show. Like it was almost like, well, it's done. We just told everybody it's done. I just let everybody know that we crushed it and let's just keep the vibe going. Cause I mean, Black was killer. They crushed that. Retrograde crushed that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, th- th- this, I think, could be one of those eight man shows if they were still, you know, mm. attaching logos to this. I mean, because it's, I mean, the set list is fantastic, but the performances, I think, are definitely five star. Um, Half full. I thought the intro to that was interesting as a song. I love that. You know, the, again, well, yeah. For again, just any time you pull out, pull out anything from Riot Act, I'm going to be happy. Are you a big <laughs> Riot Act fan? Uh, yeah, go ahead with that one. That, What's that? Curious. Are you a big Riot Act fan? Uh, yeah. That's it. I just remember it as a yeah, I, yeah. I remember. I remember it was just a great time. It was a great. T- Great tour. I'm just. I look. I look back on that tour very fondly. The, the tour. The tour. And those. And those. Song, and those. And those songs too. I mean, I love All Our Known so much. Um, I love love the Jam and Half Full. I love Love Boat Captain. I love I Am Mine. I wish I am. Mine. I've even told Mike this. I go. I wish I am mine when it ends with a solo. Would go on in three minutes. Is, yeah, so I'm like, you need to just fucking we, keep going. Yeah, we have talked about man. that time and again on this show. Like, just, just keep going. Just keep going, just Mike. Keep going, I know. It's a great song. Well, uh, yeah. you've seen Black a million times, Rob. I, I, I tell, I tell a buddy black, of mine. So, and, black, and Black is the song that initially completely turned me on to Pearl Jam. I was Patico right now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That was the so, I got that. I got the. Pro, see, promo of their state of, of 10 sent to me from a friend who was like working at their publishing company i had it on my sony five disc carousel which was mm-hmm. on shuffle so it's like i hear something anyway i'm in another room in my part of my house the, mu- the music is up and all of a sudden i just hear something and i was like what the fuck is this and i run back in to see what it is and it was black and i was just like this is fucking incredible well, you've probably seen that song. Oh, I don't know how many times, but I, I told I turned to I can tell you. and I was like, "You could probably." Say <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was the best black I'd ever seen. I don't know what you think. Well, I my favorite black always will be. Again, it's it's almost like your favorite show. It's sort of pretty hard to top your favorite show when you mm-hmm. have a favorite show for twenty years or something like that. But uh, my favorite black by bar none is Ben Arroyo. Because Ooh, when he had crowd when he had too. when he had us sing that the fucking chills up your spine, man, and up your neck. Ah, I get him just listening to that. I will never forget That's that a moment. Great show. Yeah, and that and that and, and all the shows I'd seen, I had never ever seen that or heard that or seen him do that with any of the crowd. He has since, but it's never been like that. Rob, were you in the um, <clears throat> were you on the floor for night two as well, Austin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So when retrograde started, they're around me, and as far as I could see in the aisles, because I was in the, the lower bowl at the night too, there were people like streaming up the stairs 
to either get another beer or to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, you fucking people have no idea what you're about to miss. And I was proven right because the outro of that song, as we we all know, was, yeah, was good. it was a wall. I had never heard a wall of sound from that band before like I did in that moment. It was something else. Indeed. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that song. And that was a great version. Good. I'm glad we agree. You yeah. didn't see anybody leaving now? I hope not. But you're probably amongst the the, the uh the uh, um I'm 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 lost in space down there. As you I'm, should not, I'm not watching people walk out. I was I was right. taking kind of out of, out of the show a tiny bit yeah. when I saw people kind of walking up the steps. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? J- Jason mentioned Chloe Dancer Crown of Thorns as a what could be a highlight of the show on the live cast. You guys were making predictions. I remember mm. you mentioned that that was yours, and, and sure enough, Austin Night too. We 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 get that song. What what was that like for you guys? Okay, I thought it was great. Hold on, hold on. Rob, what's what song are we talking about here? I'm, I'm looking Crown. at my Chloe Crown. Ah, uh, kills me every time. <laughs> I mean, that, that made, that's a sign of a great show too. That was um. I mean, we're we're checking live footage, checking PJ's stat tracker. You know, you always got to check out your stats and see what you what you've got. Uh, and I I feel like some people yeah, get you, really lucky. You were curious. You, 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 you were curious, though. I've seen Black 174 times. Oh, that's oh. it? <laughs> that's it. Sorry. <laughs> ben Arroyo, and Ben Arroyo will always be the best one I've ever seen. I, listen, I appreciate that. Um, okay, but back, but back to where, Austin. I don't know where I was going Chloe Crown? Oh, yeah, Chloe yeah, yeah. Crown? So a buddy of mine, um, most of his shows, I think he's been to like seven or eight shows, so it's not a lot, but pretty much every show he's gone to has been in, in New York City. And it just so happens that most of the time when they play Crown and, and, and Chloe or, or just Crown, it's in New York City. So he's like, I've seen this four times. Really. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's incredible yeah. every time. And even if you've seen it a number of times, chances are people around you have probably missed well, it. And how, many so they really them. how many times did they, how many times did they really play that in New York? Not that many. It's well, you guys saw who you are the first time since 2016. That's, that was that, cool. That's, yeah, I've I never mean, seen it. That. Box ticked, Rob. I don't nice. know. About, I think you've probably seen it, but is there any songs that you haven't seen, Rob? Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, what they would be? I don't Red know. Dot. Pearl Jam stat tracker. <laughs> yeah. Does that tell me what I haven't seen? I'm looking. Why two? If if you plug in every show you've seen, it'll tell you yeah. every songs you've heard, how many times you've heard them, and it'll, if you scroll album yeah. by album, I mean, it'll tell I, you which I, ones you've never seen. Yeah. Oh, okay. I can do that. So I've got it here. So first song I saw was Release. I've seen it 137 times. Last song I've seen was You Led Better. I've seen it 388 times. 388. How's that? Wait, wait. Has, no, that's play. That's play count. That's play count. You got to go to my stats. Not not PJ stats. I'm in. I'm in my. I'm in my stats. Something's amiss. Yeah, really. It's a yellow Ledbetter played 387 times. Okay, why isn't that showing me my thing though? I'm in my stats. What the fuck? Yeah, 305 shows seen. 8,550 total performances seen. Jesus Christ. Huh. Huh. 184 unique program songs seen. 181 unique covers. I mean, they, they only have like 190 songs. It's okay, that. here you go. Backspacer, I'm 100% complete. Binaural, 100% complete. Gigaton, 91%. Lightning Bolt, 100%. Lost Dogs, 93%. No Code, 100. 
avocado 100, right? Like 100, 10, 100. Vitology 78, because hopefully yeah. they'll never do it complete. <laughs> or they, they couldn't do it complete. Versus 100, yield 92%. Oh, what's Ooh, missing on yield? That's, that's going to be red oh, dot. What's missing yield? Red dot times scene none. But didn't they supposedly do that? No, they they they, they, they made it like the intro music. Yeah. For yeah. a minute. What about Lost Dogs? I'm sure he said 93%. Yeah, hold on, let me go back. Let me go back. For Lost Dogs? Um, yeah, Lost 93% dogs. off Lost Dogs. Yeah. Crazy town. <laughs> Grammy Out of Control and Whale Song. You have not seen those. According to, according to Jack Irons, we'll never see Whale Song. <laughs> <laughs> Geez, I mean, well, I mean, I was excited that I ticked off Habit and Who You Are. Okay, here's a great, here's a great one, and yeah. I think the band Hitchhiker saw it in Manchester. What had a slight the little, had a slight little, yes, and had a slight little hiccup. It wasn't as bad as someone makes it out to be, and, and it's like if they just burned, you know, if they just went through it three more times, they'd fucking be killing it. <laughs> and that song, that song should be fucking played. I'll leave it at that. Who is the who is the naysayer? Who is the poo pooer? Can you name? I names? have no idea. I'm just oh. saying. I'm just saying. Fans, some fans here, and thank God they fucked it up. Blah blah blah. I don't know. I well, never, never. I've never discussed it with any band member. Okay. I don't know about you, Rob, and and maybe it's different because you've you've been on the journey a little bit longer uh, than I have, and and Paul has. But when I left Austin last Wednesday morning. I felt like whatever, whatever, uh, whatever was happening in my world that was weighing me down had been released, and I was like, re like renewed. I was ready to like face the world again. Is that just like the Pearl Jam experience? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could have said that about my sciatica, but. <laughs> <laughs> The nerve of that nerve. Uh, the fucking nerve of that nerve to fucking me up there in the shows. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I get it. I get it. I felt it, you know. It's just like and that's a, again, it's just like it's it's the best feeling to like, you know, forget how freaking great they are and be reminded. So we've got um a couple more debuts this week. We got Chicago debuts this week on Pearl Jam Radio, channel twenty two. Is it 6 yep. p.m. Pacific that they start? Six, six, no, 6 p.m. Eastern, Eastern on Tuesdays and Fridays. And then, then actually, and Pacific too, because we play it at 6 oh, and then at 9 Eastern. So yeah. it is 6 So it is six Eastern and Pacific. I was wrong and right at the same time. Yeah. They were, we like when it works that way. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they, they sound great as always. Um, I haven't, um, I need to crank up that Chicago one, actually. Funny too, I mean, how people bitch or people who are seriously into bootlegs, how they bitch from tour to tour or critique ones and how some, some people love the sound of 06 and hey, one of the ones hate the sound of 06 and all the different, you know, same thing with all of them, with a lot of them. What are you going to do? I mean, yeah. Yeah. You but, can't win them all. No, I know, but they all do have their own unique sound too. I mean, I had a few, there were some... I don't know if it was 15 or when it was recently, but I was like, I don't know. Something here don't sound right to me in terms of maybe how much I'm hearing a certain kind of a drum or whatever, or 
something in particular. I was like, yeah, something about this. So yeah, everyone's got their favorites kind of things. And I love the sound of 03 and 06. And I think uh, zero zero Brett's first tour, you know, what they were under and how they pick and even pull that shit off. It was just a miracle. And it, it would be amazing to like get those remastered someday, just so they're one louder, not overmastered, but just a little more a kick to them. And those are amazing shows. Well, you, Rob, you've seen, you've seen the vaults, you know, some things are possible. Um, e even if, uh, maybe some of the 96 shows aren't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or just give us a compilation or something, but I just wish we could have more, more live 96 and great quality at our disposal because that limits to, you know, again, it limits to what we can do on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, mean, I was thinking from a fan's point of view, but from a, from a PJ radio point of view, we need to, it's always good to up the ante. Hey, the more the merrier, especially, you know, you know, especially in terms of the old, older, the vintage stuff. Yeah, of course. Which that, which that, which that falls into now. Well, Rob, um, I really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I know you've got this, uh, Chicago one debut coming up later today, uh, as this is being released. And, um, I'm sure we're going to see you out there on the road because there's going to be a new album and new tour next year. Looking forward to it. They say it's heavy. I don't know if that meant they were eating in and out burgers or what, but I don't know. Prediction: twelve-string bass comes back. Well, that. But I'll tell you, man, that the, the way Earthling sounds, if it is as crisp as Earthling, I am. I mean, it, just contrast that to the original mix of Avocado, right? I mean, you want to talk about two very different listening experiences. So I'm very curious to see what this mix is going to sound like. It's so yeah. It's we, yeah. The, the sound of records is a whole other show, I guess. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we can go on, go on that, for a long time. Rob, about that'll that. be uh, that'll be part two when you bring in the good mic. <laughs> there you go. It's it's only sitting like four feet away from me. <laughs> We're a casual bunch here, Rob. It's all good. Now hold on, uh, uh, Jason. We we yes. do ask almost every guest. Oh yes, the same same handful mm -hmm. of questions, right? Yes. Oh. Go for so, it. Uh, one question I do want to ask you, what, and this is something we often ask our guests, what is one piece of Pearl Jam memorabilia that you would uh, regard it as, as priceless or uh, something that must be shared? That I have? Yeah. Oh. Maybe it's the giant cinder block of the Seattle Center Arena that's on my patio. <laughs> When they tore the fucking place down, a buddy of mine there shipped me a fucking cinder vlog. And you still have it 30 years later. <laughs> that, that, that's no, like no, football no, fans no, that no, like buy seats like, out of a no, stadium they, no, when they, they knocked. <laughs> no, when they tore it down, like oh, it tore it down five yeah, yeah. or five or seven years ago, whenever that was. Okay. He, still. he sent me a he sent me a cinder block, but other uh, other than that, um, uh, I don't know. Pearl Jam Look, I'm looking around. It, you know, I have some great photos that you know. Jay, I have a Jay Blakesburg photo from the night uh, the, from the Warfield show. That's one. But um, I, okay, probably the <clears throat> probably the um. The waffle flannel long sleeve versus tour green shirt oh, wow. that I got at, at those Seattle shows. 
nice. that's probably one of my favorite. And the and those and the same thing those those um long sleeve thermal avocado ones too, in black and brown. So yeah, I'm I'm going for the sweat. I'm going for the apparel. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I like it. Jason, and the um, um, I was gonna say I'm the, trying uh, to think. Yeah. I go. I have. Oh, I have my long sought after white whale. Finally, I got my no code mobile hanging in my kitchen. A no code no mobile. Code. I don't think I've ever seen that. Before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It was uh, like a you know radio promotional thing, and I was after that for years, and finally found one. Wow, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, real quick, uh, favorite album. No code. No code, no 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 code, no question. <laughs> what was the other one? Uh favorite favorite song is Black, or is that wrong? No, In Hiding is my song. Oh, because of 2000 Seattle? Yes. Somehow, well, that night, that's my number one show. We didn't even get into that, but that's all other show. Again, that's that's the good yeah. show, Rob. Stay with me here. That is that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the good headphones. Um, okay, well, uh, this has been great, and I, I'm now my palate's very wetted for for the next time around, and I'm, I'm excited to to right. find you at, next year at a show or 45. And uh, yeah, uh, from Pearl Jam Radio, Sirius XM Channel 22, and uh, also Channel What's the Grateful Dead Channel 23. 23. Back back. Look at you. Back to back. Okay. Back to back. Uh, it's Rob yeah. Wittstein. Thanks, guys. Great being. Good to see you. Pleasure having you, Rob. Rob Bleatstein from Pearl Jam Radio. This guy has got some stories. I'm sure we'll get him again down the road. Um, but I really wanted to just kind of talk to him about this tour and in the context of his 305 shows, Paul. Jesus, oh, it's just astounding. An astounding number. What do you What do you think? That's like for somebody who's seen the band that many times i thought you know i thought 30 would be a cool number to get to like do you do you get i don't want to say do you get um um desensitized in a way i don't think so and i'll tell you why i mean think of folks who buy like season passes to the symphony or the theater right they go to dozens of shows dozens every year every season and, and it's it's just about the experience it's like that place is a sanctuary and you want to go and you want to just take in the experience. And I think for a lot of Pearl Jam fans who have the time and uh, the ability to commit, um, they find that experience to be soulful and awakening um, in a lot of ways. Uh, some might argue that is their, their, their spiritual experience, you know, that, that in some ways that, that, that becomes a, a, a surrogate spiritual experience or, or um, awakening, if you will, in ways that for, for other folks, maybe going to a traditional, you know, shul or, or church setting would do, um, or temple. Right. So I don't know. I, I think, like I said, it's just, it's where you find you are most alive. And I think for, for people who, especially in, in this day and age where we are becoming more and more disconnected and more and more folks on a, on a, a generational level, are um desensit not I don't, they are desensitized but we are we're numbing ourselves with um kind of like 
you know, soulless entertainment, uh, yeah. or to use Eddie Vedder's words, you know, uh, regurgitating and taking in a lot of content that uh, seems to have a high fructose content. So, <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, folks like Rob seek out those authentic experiences and, uh, that that's what makes life worth living. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and if you can count 305 authentic experiences and, and somebody else, you know, and, and you say, what are your 305 authentic experiences? A lot of folks probably couldn't think of on two hands would struggle to count what those were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whether they're Pearl Jam fans or not. So I, I applaud the folks that, that do what Rob does. And, and, and I mean, it's, I, I marvel at the folks who have seen 50, 60, 70 shows. Uh, anybody yeah. that's over a hundred, it, it blows my mind. Three hundred and five, man. I mean, that is uh, astounding. Is the the only word I can come. I'm up almost with. as excited to meet somebody who's been to that many shows as I am to meet somebody who's been to like six, because they're coming in being like, "Oh my god, I I, I can't wait to hear anything. I just I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. I want to be in there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I'm, I've gotten like a small taste. I want. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not like a. Um, well, I think that's where you get right. I mean, we we asked Rob about you know what songs have you not heard i mean for the most part the guys heard damn near everything i mean there's a handful of yeah. you know deep cuts and and uh you know what some casual fans would regard as filler uh, uh whereas, whereas, whereas for, i would want to hear it all personally i mean there, there's not anything on in the catalog that uh if i was at that number that i would be like well, just, i want to check every just box off at that it, point yeah. Yeah, just, just 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 to do it but um i think you get to a point when you've seen as many shows as rob has where you could have Rob with 305 and, um, you know, Randy with six and, uh, uh, you, you're ex- essentially in the same boat, right? It's like, we, we come out of the womb and we're in diapers mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. like 80 years later, we're back in diapers. It's, it's literally, it's, it's time's a circle, man. And, uh, they would both be sitting there basically with the same desire, which is I'm ready to hear anything and everything. And I'm just going to take it, it to me. And love it. Yeah, give me more. Give it to me. Speaking of giving you more, we're going to bring uh, Lyric of the Week back around again. I know we're, we've been kind of dancing around that segment the last few weeks, but it's back, baby. It's time for Lyric of the Week. This week's Lyric of the Week, we are going to go to a live show because it was never recorded in the studio, and that is Out of My Mind. Okie Paul, out of my mind, uh, as we mentioned earlier on the show, lyrics never actually, quote unquote, written. <laughs> well, what do you make of this section uh, later in the song, actually? Well, my understanding is that uh, during the encore of Atlanta 94, they wrap up Elderly Woman and the band essentially just launches into uh, a made up song on the spot. And, uh, you know, I don't know how rehearsed of the earth was um you know falling down seems very much impromptu 
there's a lot of songs that that and there are a ton of improv uh sure yeah and and some of which by the way very much resemble a what, what feels like a full composition not all of them but if you listen to all of them like you, you could make an album out of some of those and they they feel like like loose jam compositions all the way sure. through yeah yeah uh, which is maybe a project for a later date, but this, the result of this, this workshop, this, this uh, experimentation uh, produced out of my mind. Uh, and, and it has become quite a fan favorite. It's a bootleg uh, uh, hallmark, I would say. And we did find it on the not for you B side. Right. Yes, so this yes. came out a year mm-hmm. after that in Atlanta 94 show. And, and they didn't play this sucker for years, man. I mean, it was like, 10, 15 years or something like that. And they finally brought it out um, at the Spectrum in Philly, you know, yeah. when they basically said, we're going to try and play every song we've ever done back in 09. So when you do hear this song, I think it's a treat. And Pearl Jam's commitment to it as a song, as opposed to, uh, you know, some throwaway ditty or, or um, some impromptu uh, workshop that that isn't really worth revisiting. I think it is a testament to how successful it was as it as an improv um i'm a big fan of it i'm very jealous is the wrong word i'm thrilled that you were able to hear it (laughs) because i'm not i'm not i'm not look i like it it's not like i'm over the moon i I don't love it you know what i mean it's not Mm -hmm. one of those songs that it's like i really want to hear out of my mind today like when i hear it it's fun but uh if you're at a live show and you're treated to an experience like this you got to go with and just be like this is amazing i'm just gonna have fun with it um uh, what did we hear at uh it was a similar experience we heard it at uh heard what um at uh, at doheny beach oh uh was it uh sweet lou yeah sweet lou exactly so like that that is one that is by far like that that's nowhere don't need near to hear a it. bucket list like, i don't oh, need fun. to hear this but when it shows up like i'm I, I didn't look at you and be like are you kidding me like we're really wasting a song on sweet lou. no it was quite the contrary i looked at you and said are you kidding me like this is a, sure bring it on why not i mean because that, that's a box <laughs> i never thought i'd check off uh, you just have fun with it so but what's fascinating about this song um is that when you really think about the the song lyrically because again you know eddie was was reading lyrics but he he said he could relate to them but he also said that they weren't necessarily lyrics that he had written with intention or or purpose uh but when i look at this particular set of lyrics where do i go where do i stay i got no place to lay on the hay where do i go to soothe my head guess i'll turn on music instead it harkens back to a lot of songs in the pearl champ catalog that are essentially you know in service as an homage to music and the sanctuary that music brings mm-hmm. uh, is songs like spin the black circle or uh, let the records play. Uh, th- and there are, are many, many others. Um, where do I see, where do I shine? No one wants to take my mind. Where do I go? How do I feel? Guess I'll waste away in here out of my mind. Again, this song as a mic, in a lot of ways, it's a microcosm of so much of what Pearl Jam's early music was all about. The feeling of, of being misunderstood, the feelings of alienation, the feelings of, you know, id and ego at war with each other. And I think that as, as an exercise, this song was very indicative of the, the essence and the spirit of so much of what, what Pearl Jam was about, especially during that no code era, uh, or I should say like post um for the in between period between verses when they were like a, a, a supernova and no mm-hmm. code which is where they were kind of like doing some internal soul searching 
So I, I've always liked the song in that respect. I find it to be kind of like a, a, a time capsule moment for the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But outside of that, though, I don't necessarily find myself often like really doing a deep dive on the song in the way I would other songs, mostly because there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of purpose and intention with the lyrics. It was very much kind of like a stream of consciousness and, and just kind of, you know, I'm going to say what I'm feeling and thinking in the moment. Um, and I, I think there's value in that as, as a, a, a window and, and this, the composition itself as a conduit into kind of the state of mind of Eddie Vedder and the band at the time. I, I love that, that, that window into the, into the state of mind. The fact that it was so, um, I, I, I will bet that some of those lines, maybe even the chorus was kind of pre-thought for that might right. fit for something down the road. And then he probably just riffed off of it, um, uh, creatively and, 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 um, in a very, uh, well done manner. But I, I'm just glad we're talking about this song because we barely talk about this song and we barely mention it. And it's, it's brought up sporadically, almost like, like novelty. Uh, speaking of Sweet Lou, <laughs> and exactly. um, like, like when we're doing a deep dive on oddities or or just drooling over the Atlanta shows from '94, the first night, of course, um, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's the lyric of the week because you know the guys just played it for the fifth time ever in Austin a week ago, right? And you know, in that preamble to them actually performing it, adds something to the effect of, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. Um, I think I actually mentioned it before that there there were never the lyrics written, but that he he still felt this song all those years there, and that 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 stuck in my head that he still felt this song, and he could relate to it thirty years on. That's what stuck out, and I gotta say, um, this set of lyrics with the, with the backdrop of the entire song, you know, the most on the nose description of of a Pearl Jam fan there is, in my opinion, and 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 sure, Ed is talking about music being a solace as you said but when they play this song to us it's their music that is our solace and it really truly is um you know we 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 go we all go through ups and downs in life we all go through times where we're really challenged we're worn you know our our, our cups of patience or responsibility are overflowing maybe it's our jobs uh, it's our, it could be our families, our friends, or lack thereof. It could be anything. A breakup, a divorce, tragedy. Lord knows there's been enough of that to go around. Uh, listen, I, I, I was feeling pretty emotionally wiped out recently. And I, I saw this show, like I said, we, we talked about, I saw these shows in person. I saw this song performed in person and maybe 30 feet away from Ed. And this is what I needed. And when he sang these words, I felt my cups kind of empty. It was, like I told Rob, therapeutic. And the idea that music is therapy, is it's not new, but when it's the band that you connect with the most, who articulates it in exactly the way that made you fall in love with them in the first place, it hits a little bit different. Now, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm wasting away, as Ed says in one of those last lines there. And I don't think I'm out of my mind, at least not right this second, although when the kids are screaming, I, I could tell you that I was. Um, <laughs> anybody with with small children can can relate to that in some manner, um, but only because of songs like this, like lyrics lyrics like these. You know, the empathy is perfectly executed, 
through music and words and, and from a, from a friggin' improv. It's, this is why we love Eddie Vedder. And this is why we love Pearl Jam because they can take, they can take what we're feeling and they can take, you know, there's a number of songs, like you said, a number of songs that, that more articulately put the feelings more specifically in these little boxes. And they go, ah. when that happened to me, that's how I felt perfect. Oh my God. Because this is so raw, like you said, because this is so in the moment, it feels it feels a little bit more honest almost yeah. because it wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't edited. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, redone a number of times to, to get exactly what he wanted to say as great as those moments are. The fact that he was able to more or less improvise these thoughts, I just think is magical. And that speaks to how close this band makes us feel to them. So again, it's it's a it's a silly little number, you know, played five times. Most people write it off. But I think there's some value to this performance and these lyrics. Um in, in so much as how the, the band relates to us. I completely agree. I mean it's funny you mentioned uh being in tune. I, I think the band was very much in tune with just the their present tense as they knew it. Uh, pun intended, but more importantly than that, uh, you know, when you think about this concept of like being in the present, right? Th- this concept of just presence, as it were, makes me think of uh, Led Zeppelin's seventh album, Presence, mm. which a lot of people would regard as as, as a, a failure, not recognizing that it's actually a triple platinum certified album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that being said, it's the lowest selling album in the history of, of the band's releases. And uh, what a lot of people don't know about Presence is that it came on the heels of Physical Graffiti, which was a, a smashing success. And they they took a break at the time from touring. And Robert Plant actually got into this really serious accident, a very serious car accident in Greece in August. And uh, they had to cancel their tour. And they completely had to reschedule everything that was on their itinerary. But they were tax exiles at the time. So Robert Plant could not actually check into a hospital in England, like he, 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 he had to recuperate essentially abroad. Mm. And so they, uh, they found themselves, uh, initially in uh, the channel islands and then eventually in Malibu. And they wrote all these, these lyrics or he wrote all these lyrics, I should say. And he was really reflecting a lot on his personal situation, similar to what Eddie was doing with out of my mind. And he, there was questions about the future, similar to what out of my mind is indicative of. And uh, Jimmy Page kind of joins them in in Malibu at the time, and they start thinking about this album. You know, like let, let, let's let's take this and channel this into an album. And they ended up preparing enough material at the time that they could present to the rest of the band. And then Bonham shows up, and and John Paul Jones. They they're all in Hollywood at the time. And they start rehearsing, and uh, this album eventually comes together. But it was super rushed. It was rushed because they had to book the studio right before the Rolling Stones who were uh, going to yeah. record the Black and Blue album, right? So both albums were released, Presence in Black and Blue in the spring of 76. So Jimmy Page basically reaches out to the Rolling Stones and he's like, hey, I need to borrow a couple of days from you guys to uh, to record this stuff, right? So he takes a couple of days of their recording session time and then he completes basically all these guitar overdubs in one session, which is just crazy. And then um, they start working on these mixes basically nonstop until they they pass out they literally fall asleep in the studio and whoever wakes up first had to go right back to the desk and just carry on i mean it was just like a um, a marathon session 
And he later said he basically worked 18, 20 hours every day during these sessions. So, I mean, you want to talk about just, you know, stuck in, in this like Groundhog's Day, right, experience. And it was really challenging, obviously, for Robert Plant, because as I mentioned, like he had been in this accident. So in the, 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 the studio was in this basement of this old hotel, and he had these, these feelings of, of claustrophobia, and he basically couldn't stand up. So, I mean, he's like sitting in a chair for the majority of it. He misses his family. Um, he's in pain, right? He's upset about Paige and uh, their manager, like booking these sessions. And, and he's starting to, to reevaluate uh, all these priorities in life because he just thought he was kind of riffing on stuff. And suddenly they're in the middle of, of, of this album. So <laughs> out comes this product, basically, which is the, the summation and the culmination of what was a very tumultuous time in the lives of these men. And I think when you listen to a song like Out of My Mind, it's really easy to compartmentalize this song as just like a silly little exercise and not recognize that, no, it very much is like a microcosm of Pearl Jam in that moment. And I think when you can recognize it within the context of that greater framework, you develop a much stronger appreciation for it, very much akin, at least for me, to the appreciation I have for a, an album like Presence, which I think, when viewed through the lens of that context, you you really start to appreciate the um, the artistry and just the ac- absolutely stellar craftsmanship of musicians to be able to produce anything under those circumstances. I never knew that story. Number one, number two, that parallel or that analogy is it makes me think about the release of Vitalogy seven months later. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. And there's, one of these there's another we'll there's more. another yeah. context. I mean, we knew what was happening sort of that tour. And but now to think about out of my mind as that little snapshot. It, it, it's like a window into what basically like because they were it, recording around that time too, because the album came out just seven months later. So they had to be recording around those shows, right? That was the primer for their yeah. frame of mind heading into those sessions yeah, yeah. months later, right? That's so wild. Did, right. This has been one of the most fun lyrics we've ever done. Uh-huh. <laughs> a little little history lesson too. Um, I didn't think. I bet you guys didn't think you're going to get a whole history lesson about Led Zeppelin Sorry. during an out of my mind lyric. You know, I had to make up for my absence last week. You brought and, it, and, and and I had to bring something because uh, that petition was 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 oh my god on the verge of circulation. Okay, all right. And, and, and again, Stip, I love you, brother, and and you were. It, it, he was so excited. You hear it in his voice. I mean, it was like I I had never heard Stip like that before. So. I, I, I just you know I, I really appreciated it. It, you know, it, you know it made my day. What's that? No Mountain Dew. That's just water. <laughs> you exactly. Spit my point. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the live cut of the week. Ready to stand up. All right. Live cut of the week. Well, like I said before, five performances, April 2nd in uh, 94 in Atlanta, four days later in Springfield, Mass. Jumped to 2009, like you mentioned, Paul, at the Wachovia Center in uh, in Philadelphia. I guess it was actually the Wachovia Spectrum. Um, very different building. Uh, last show of four in Philadelphia, closing that building out. And then another nine years at Fenway. Um, and then... Uh, just last week in Austin, Texas. So, and you were at Fenway. 
weren't you? Not that Fenway. That was the twenty eighth. I was at twenty sixteen Fenway. That was okay, right, right, Fenway. Right, that's right. That's right. Um, so with that, with those five being said, is there any way it's not the first one? I mean, and this is one of those songs where you really could pick whichever one you like because yeah. it, you don't have to tie it specifically to the era in theory because it wasn't on an album. I'm going to tie it to the specific era because I think the lyrics themselves are, like I said, you know, windows into a very, very specific moment in time. So I've got to go with that original version uh, from April uh, of 1994.
Yep, there it is. Um, that's the version we've heard um, a number of times before. Uh, it's, it's yeah, hard not to pick it. Um, you know, it, it's what the other four performances are judged against, considering there is no studio cut. And funnily enough, the um, the Boston twenty eighteen, Philadelphia twenty uh, two thousand nine versions are slightly unique in their own ways, so they're worth listening to and checking out. Uh, I think the Springfield ninety four version, being only four days from the original, is pretty similar. Uh, and then Austin last week was very tight for a quote unquote improv. So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious yeah. to hear that again uh, after Brett Eliason has put his magic on it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's got to be April 2nd, 94. Guys, that's the show. Um, a welcome return for Paul. Um, we're so happy to have him back as well as Rob Leitstein from Pearl Jam Radio. How cool is that? Um I just want to thank everybody who listened to last week to the live cast and who continues to listen, who's told their friends. If, if I met you in Austin, um, hi again, th- thank you for saying hi to me and, and being a fan of this little dog and pony show we do each week. And, um, and what an idea that you guys had with us. I, I think uh, next tour, we should uh, consider trying to put another live cast together. Oh, this time right. I might actually show up for it. <laughs> and I will tell you, the, the fine people at the Wishless Foundation, especially Laura DiMartini, uh, Jenny Shank, and Brian Hood are, among others, are fabulous people. I am so stoked they let us crash their party. And uh, I hope to be involved. I, I hope that we are involved again um, for these pre-parties because it was a lot of fun. I would do this live thing again a number Community, of times. Right? How many times do we keep going back to that? That's, that's, that? that's what this is all about. All about. Uh, if you would be so kind, you could go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe on your platform of choice for whatever podcast you'd like to listen to. But I hope it's the State of Love and Trust yes. podcast. Preferably. I mean, Paul. there's many podcasts, but I know your time is very, very important and limited. Uh, and if you'd like to go a little bit step further, uh, there is Patreon. Link is in our bio of this uh, episode uh, of social channels, yada, 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 shirts, stickers, pins, all that crap. So, we, we thank you for just being here and hanging out, and uh, we will see you again next week. Another interview, another uh, fabulous uh, Pearl Jam fan who has a fabulous um, social network of, of Pearl Jam fans and some really cool stuff on his website. We're going to talk to him. Um, and until then, you have been listening to The State of Love and Trust. State of love.